For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. The unsurpassed, profound, and wondrous Dharma is rarely met with even in a hundred thousand million kalpas. Now I can see and hear it, accept and maintain it. May I unfold the meaning of the Tathagata's truth. When he's ready, Tigan will give today's Dharma talk. Good morning, everyone. Can you hear me? Good. So, um, today I want to talk about Sangha and resilience. So, resilience is about how do we maintain and nourish and develop our lives and our practice and our being in the world. This involves uh, the fourth of, of our uh, transcendent practices, the fourth paramita, the practice of energy and enthusiasm. How do we sustain our energy? How do we sustain our enthusiasm for the affairs and activities of our life? This is uh, our practice of resilience. It also involves the third parameter, the practice of patience, that is active patience, attentive patience, paying attention, and uh, staying present in the midst of all of it. So uh, this is challenging. We live amid the reality of change. Some of the teachings say that the reality of change is permanent, so there's a permanent aspect to this, but practically speaking, in our lives, in our world, we are living amidst change. And among people in our Sangha, and of course many people throughout our country and the world, there are a variety of personal changes. Changing jobs for many people in our country and in the world, losing jobs. Uh, Moving our homes, so at least a few people in our Sangha are involved in that uh, even today or recently. And relationships changing. Starting new relationships, losing relationships, All of this is painful. Change is difficult. Sometimes change is helpful and wonderful, but also uh, it's a challenge. How do we find our resilience? How do we sustain our energy, our enthusiasm, our caring about our lives and the world and the people around us amid change? So, 
parts of this resilience involve finding what we enjoy. Enjoyment is a bodhisattva practice. How do we enjoy ourselves? How do we enjoy the people around us? How do we enjoy our world? To sustain joy and enjoyment is part of our practice. How do we engage in the activities and the interests that um, bring us joy, that bring us enjoyment? And part of that is playfulness. How do we not, not trying to figure it all out and decide what to do, although that's part of our lives, but also how do we play with the realities of our lives? How do we try new things? How do we improvise? So that's important to sustain resilience. And then also nourishment. What is it that nourishes us? This is an actual practice to look at what, what nourishes us. What, what's, what supports our energy and enthusiasm? And then how do we nourish and support our friends, the people around us, our world? So all of this is about um, how to take care of our lives. Often, this practice of resilience and nourishment and playfulness um, takes us beyond our comfort zones. So part of bodhisattva practice with change is to be willing to be uncomfortable. To find our way of playing with discomfort, of breathing into it and breathing out of it. How do we accept this? And for all of this, our great gift is zazen. So this practice of zazen we've just done is about sitting upright, being present in this body, in this mind, in this heart, with this heart, breathing in, breathing out, enjoying our inhale and our exhale, feeling what we feel, seeing how we feel. So I've sometimes encouraged the mantra of, how does it feel? Just to actually feel what it's like to be present in this body, to be upright, to be breathing. Uh, that also nourishes our practice of resilience. So one of my uh, favorite sentences from Dogen is to, this is from his essay, The Awesome Presence of Active Buddhists. And, and maybe there's no such thing as inactive Buddhists, but anyway. He says, just experience the vital process on the path of going beyond Buddha. Just experience the vital process on the path of going beyond Buddha. Some of you have heard me talk about this before, but maybe some of you haven't. Uh, Sasen is a vital process. So in sustaining and nourishing our practice of zazen, um, naturally over time, I mean, the, the point of zazen is just to continue, to continue a regular practice of sitting down, inhaling and exhaling, facing the wall or facing you know, our lives and being present and 
if and thoughts and feelings come up, we let them go. They may come up again. Uh, we uh, enjoy the spaces around the thoughts and feelings, but we continue to be present in our body, in our lives, in this world. We sit like Buddhas. So when we had, uh, we don't have a, a Buddha image in the center of this Zoom field, but in the center of our Zendo back in the old days at Irving Park, uh, there was an altar with a Buddha sitting in the center. So we sit like Buddha, but in this body and mind, finding our way to be like Buddha. Inhale and exhale, nourishing our awareness, our practice. So sometimes people get bored with zazen or get irritated at all the thoughts and feelings or feel the discomfort in our bodies because all of that is also about our own physical selves, our shoulders, our knees, our lower back. We, we, have, we find some place that's uncomfortable. So how do we practice with this discomfort? How do we be present in the midst of this? This is the practice of resilience. And because this is a, a vital process on an active path, uh, we don't necessarily know how our sasan is. Of course, we make judgments as human beings, and we sometimes make judgments about our sasan, and, and we can make judgments about our judgments. Uh, <laughs> But don't judge the judgments of your, about your judgments. Just being upright and present is, is resilience, is nourishment. So this is about our practice of sazen, sazen, which helps us be in this difficult world. So traditionally, this world that we are in, uh, the Buddha field created by Shakyamuni Buddha 2,500 or so years ago in what's now northern India, is called the Saha world. Saha is a Sanskrit world, but it means the world of endurance. So in our lives and in our world, there are many things that we have to endure. So this is, uh, so the practice of resilience is how do we, again, how do we sustain our energy and our enthusiasm for being here in this difficult place? And, uh, this includes all the things that are happening that we know about in our world that are upsetting and challenging and dangerous and that we don't know what to do about, but we see it. So climate catastrophes happening everywhere, heat waves in Chicago, fires through the, through the West Coast, fires in uh, Southern Europe, Greece and Italy. Flooding in many places in South Asia and in uh, Northern Europe. Um, hurricanes, storms, uh, so-called un unusual hundred-year climate events. <laughs> Our hap weather events are happening every week, sometimes every day. So we're living in the midst of climate catastrophe. And of course, we can we can see the uh, causes and conditions that we contribute to in our energy use, but also the way the fossil fuel companies knew about this 
decades ago, but instead, uh, instead of changing what they were doing, uh, uh, funded denial of it. Then there's the pandemic, which uh, here in Chicago has eased, but now with uh, the Delta variant, uh, we don't know. It's, it's, it's resurging in some places in our country and the world. And how do we take care of not just our own country, but the world? If the, if, if the, uh, pen, if the COVID virus is running rampant in Africa or India or South America, that just increases the mutations, which will come back to us. So we can't just protect our own world, our own country. It's uh, we're connected. So one of the things this pandemic has taught us is how deeply interconnected we all are. This is a reality that Buddhism has taught uh, going back 2,500 years, but we're interconnected. Things that happen in Greece or in India or in Africa or in South Asia affect us. And here we are in this Zoom world now. There's no central Buddha image to look at, but each of us is a Buddha image. And uh, so I'm going to talk more about Zoom uh, in a little bit, but just to note that right now there are people on this screen from south of Chicago and Joliet and Kankakee, a couple people in the, in the, from the Bay Area, a couple people here in New York, from New York City, People from Michigan, a couple of people from New York City, uh, and someone from Sweden. <laughs> Hi. So, uh, yeah, we're all interconnected. Oh, and I forgot Columbus, Ohio. Yes. Hi. <laughs> so, um, this this pandemic that you know, in some ways, we feel like it's easing. Uh, but uh, it's, it has been a great lesson to us. And, but it's also part of the world of endurance and the difficulty. And of course, many, many people are in great distress because of this, having lost jobs, having lost loved ones, having gotten ill. So uh, this, the Saha world is indeed challenging. Then there's all the racial injustice, which uh, maybe doesn't impact those of us who are privileged and white, but it's part of our world and, and all of it actually affects us. And that's an, an old, old pandemic from, you know, 400 years of in this country and longer. And then, uh, of course, there's the endless wars. So uh, today, um, the capital of Afghanistan, Kabul, may, be, may fall to the Taliban, all the rest of the country has. It's, it's, for those of us old enough to remember uh, the fall of Saigon during the Vietnam War, it's uh, deja vu all over again. So the United States in the last 60 years has lost all its wars. I remember growing up, we could say that the United States has won all its wars. <laughs> Not anymore. We lost the war in Vietnam. We lost the war in Iraq. We lost the war in Afghanistan. And partly that was because we started those wars, our government started those wars without understanding those cultures, 
and actually uh, knowing that they were that they were unwinnable. Our government knew from the beginning that the, the war in Vietnam and the war in Iraq and the war in Afghanistan were unwinnable. So <laughs> why did this happen? Well, there's a clear reason that their prof- cor- corporations who make weapon systems uh, have been war profiteers. So um, Boeing and Lockheed Martin and Northrop Grumman and many other companies have made billions and billions of dollars from these wars and then uh, sent major donations to, to Congress people on both in both parties so that more wars would happen. So, okay, this is, all of this is uh, maybe depressing. Maybe we feel, uh, actually feeling hopeless about all of the, any of these things is, is, um, plays into the denial, like the denial of climate change. Because of bodhisattva resilience, it's, none of these things is hopeless. Change is possible. We don't know how, but we can pay attention. And, you know, this applies to our personal lives, too, and the sadnesses in our own lives. How do we find resilience? How do we face all of it with uprightness, with basic inner dignity, paying attention, trying to respond when we see some way to respond? And there are lots of people responding to all of this. We can um, learn about the history of racism in our country, for example, and we're doing that in our Friday morning discussion group. And many people around the country are just just looking at this reality and looking at the reality of climate damage climate catastrophes, seeing the need, and our government is starting to respond a little bit to the need to change our energy system. The thing is, it's possible. We have solar energy and wind energy and alternative energies that are actually more economically feasible than, than fossil fuels. But the fossil fuel companies are invested in this, as they are the weapons make, makers invested in wars. So uh, how do we respond? How do we encourage change? Uh, it's not clear, but it's also not impossible. So, so this, is, this is connected to the practice of resilience that we uh, also need to take on in terms of our personal lives, in terms of the changes and sadnesses and losses and confusion in our own lives and in the lives of people around us. So part of, so, so I want to talk some about Sangha, community. This is one of the three jewels in Buddhism. Buddha, the jewel of awakening. The reality of awakening in all things. This possibility that is on your seat right now. This reality that is on your seat right now uh, that we need to uh, open up to. And Dharma, which is reality and the teaching of reality and seeing the suchness of reality, including all of these things, including the change and including how this, all of these things have been going on for a long time. 
since before the Buddha. How do we face this? How do we be upright in our hearts and minds and, and be willing to face the discomfort of sadness, of loss, of change, of confusion, of fear? Of course, uh, it's easy to feel overcome and feel afraid, but this practice of zazen and this practice of sangha, the third jewel, helps us to find resilience and nourishment. So sangha is um, complicated. Sangha is, a, is about, well, it's about spiritual friendship. It's about mutual support. One model of teaching teachers is spiritual friends. But in Sangha, all of us can be spiritual friends. And, you know, it, Sangha is a strange thing. All of us here together on this Zoom screen, you know, if we met each other in some other context, we, you know, might not engage. Um, in Sangha, sometimes there are people who we don't like or who rub us the wrong way. And, and particularly when Sangha is in person. So I want to talk about our, the creative tension of Sangha in person and Sangha on Zoom. But um, when practicing in person, you know, we, we have difficulties with people. Maybe that can happen on Zoom too. I may say some things or other people may say some things in the discussion, which I'm looking forward to, which irritate you. <laughs> That's part of the work of Sangha, that we learn to support each other, even if we disagree. So uh, it's, not, it's not necessary that you agree with all the things I've said. You may like war, I don't know. <laughs> but um, here we are. How do we um, face the discomfort of being together and practicing together and then supporting each other with spiritual friendship? So this is a kind of mutual support. Uh, and um, how do we, and sitting together, whether we're sitting together on a Zoom screen or whether we're sitting together in a room in a temple, um, you know, we, we support each other by sitting upright, being present. And um, this is a wonderful thing. And then in the work of Sangha, it's, it's maybe more clear sometimes when we're sitting in a temple in person, uh, but... Uh, our upright sitting supports the people of, of who are doing upright sitting on the cushion next to us. But maybe it's also true on Zoom. So this is, um, this is part of the creative tension that we have now in terms of the jewel of Sangha. So um, I mentioned all the people who are here on this Zoom screen from many different places, and that's wonderful. And I may have left out some, but uh, we're here together thanks to Zoom, thanks to the pandemic. Uh, and we can talk together and we can be together. And I want to try and stop soon so we can have discussion. But uh, this is a kind of creative tension. So many of the people who practiced way back when we had a... a, a a lovely storefront temple on Irving Park Road in Chicago. The people who practice there in person in Chicago 
are really eager and yearning, many of them, I hear this, to have a place to practice together in person again. At the same time, we have all of you who are here from, from distant places. We have uh, this wonderful uh, Zoom event that allows us to, to join together from a distance. So there's a kind of creative tension here. There's a kind of challenge to how to practice Sangha, how to do the practice of Sangha in this way. And I think this is a Sangha right here. All of you who can see each other's faces, those of you whose faces are, are not uh, visible, but whose names are visible, all of us together, this is Sangha. So uh, we are, Ancient Dragons Zen Gate is working to um, find a new physical temple space. And uh, that, that process is, is happening and ad- advancing in some ways. We're also working to find a place where maybe we can rent a, a space, physical space, uh, in Chicago to sit in person until we have that new physical temple in, in place. However, to me, it's totally important that wherever we are sitting, temporarily in a rental space or in our new physical space, wherever that is in Chicago, that we also have access for Zoom for all of you coming from a distance on Zoom. It's, it's, it's totally, it, it, that's totally essential for me. So we will do that. <laughs> and, and many Zen groups around the country are, are working with that and, and, and experimenting with that. And there are various ways to have hybrid sanghas where uh, we might be sitting in a room together some of us, and yet I can see Eva in Sweden and Paul in the Bay Area and, and Ron in New York City and Eileen in New York City. We want that, that's what we're working at. And, and uh, again, not to leave out Randy and Columbus. <laughs> um, so this is our project, and we're working on it. <laughs> um, and actually, uh, this is uh, for our announcements, but there will be a Sangha meeting the second Sunday in September on Zoom, where we will talk about all this and what, what's happening with our process of trying to find a space. Uh, but I, I, one of the cha- so uh, partly I want to talk about the challenges of Sangha on Zoom. One of the things that's very important in Zen practice is uh, ceremonies and rituals. So in the, in the ceremonies that we do when we have a physical place, back when we had our uh, storefront little temple on Irving Park Road, we um, offered incense to Buddha, or if people were sensitive to smell, we offered flowers. We made offerings to Buddha. And the, the doshi or priest who was doing that was doing that on behalf of everybody in the room. Uh, we chanted together. There were people who hit bells, and we have, we have some of that now. But this ceremonial side of Zen, we also chanted to the ancestors. Uh, and we have, and part of, you know, we're together widely, geographically, and that's visible here, but also 
this this mutuality. Sangha is also through time. So uh, there have been many other people who have appeared on Sunday morning Zooms, and we don't necessarily see them now, but they're part of this process. And there were many people who came to our temple on Irving Park, and they're part of this. And there are people in the future who will come to our new temple, and there were people in the future who will come to our Zoom events. Uh, so it, it it's not just in space and through different states and countries, but also through time that we are connected. And our ceremonies are about that, about invoking the ancestors. There's We have these spiritual ancestors going back to Shakyamuni. We also have many other cultural ancestors. So... Uh, Paul, who's an architect and and carpenter and constructs temples, has uh, Japanese ancestors who were temple designers and temple architects, and and the and the uh, the the ancestors who did that in Tong, China, that came that uh, where the forms were brought to Japan. So these forms are very important. Part of it is just the form of zazen, sitting upright. And on this Zoom, so how do we do this in Zoom? This has been a challenge to me, how to do ceremonies on Zoom. And we do a little bit, you know. So our our practice uh, is to, when you enter the Zoom, our Zoom page, and, you, and your face is evident, please bow to the screen, and then turn, turn to the side a little bit, or, you know, in profile. That's one form we do. And we do chanting. So today, Ruben is uh, doing the bells and leading the chanting. But I would like to encourage everybody when the chant is is on the screen, even though you're silent, to chant aloud where you are with Ruben and with the chant on the screen. This is a kind of ceremony. And even if we can't hear you all, because Zoom doesn't, well, I, I think there may be ways in Zoom to do that, but we're, that's not part of what we've been doing. Uh, but everybody chanting aloud in their own place is part of the ceremony of Sangha. So this is a really creative and challenging time. How to, it, this is a new phase of Zen Buddhism. <laughs> um, how do we practice Sangha? and Buddha and Dharma in this context, in this world where we are in one, each of us is in one place, and yet we're all together here. So uh, those are just some of my reflections on Sangha, and resilience is about how do we sustain this? How do we bring our energy and enthusiasm to this, even at times when it feels like our practice is boring, or when or when you know all the thoughts and feelings are irritating, again, just to experience the vital process on the path of going beyond Buddha. So already, in some real way, each of you are Buddha. And yet, we can't just hang out there. The world is changing, our lives are changing. How do we reawaken in every period of Sasa? How do we reawaken with each other in Sangha? How do we support each other, whether we're in the same room or on a Zoom page? So this is the challenge, the creative tension 
of Zen Buddhism in our world today. And I appreciate all of you who are here. There are numbers of our Sangha members who are away on vacation because it's August, I guess. So uh, it's the vacation time for a lot of people. But here we are. Uh, and so um, that's maybe enough of my babbling. Um, but I, I really appreciate this Sangha and what we can do for Sangha on Zoom and, and also the limitations of it. But how do we sustain our practice? How do we continue to come back to our seat? How do we continue to come back to the Zoom page and see each other and talk together? So um, I want to open this up for um, questions, comments, um, perspectives. Uh, you can, if you're not visible on the screen, if you're visible on the screen, you can just raise your hand. If you're not visible, you can go to the participants window, and there's a box on the bottom to raise your hand. And Ruben, if you would help me um, call on people. So comments, perspectives, questions, reflections, please. Sangha is also about our talking together. Deborah, did I see your hand? Sure, I'll speak. Yeah, so I've been... um, I have been without a sangha for about eight years. And um, what sustained me is um, a deep intention of connecting to my practice. So I adhere to my forms, the forms I learned when I practice with others, I adhere to them and they help me sustain my practice. So for example, I bow formally to my cushion. Um, I just try to sustain my body connection and that helps me sustain and connect to your sangha. Thank you, and thank you for being part of our Sangha. Actually, Deborah is one of our assistant directors. She has an important position at Ancient Dragon Zen Gate. And, you know, one of the things about Zoom, when we had um, our temple on Irving Park Road, there were lots of things for people to do, cleaning the temple, uh, arranging the cushions, uh, uh, cooking for people during during retreats, serving, uh, greeting, hitting the bells, hitting the mokogyo sometimes. Uh, it's, it feels like there's a little less of that on Zoom, but also I uh, people have been asking me how can we help, and so I'm you know we have this this event of this Zoom page happens thanks to many people, so um, anyway that's that's something that we uh, are also exploring on Zoom. So other comments, responses, reflections, please. Yes, thank you, Paul. Thank you for being uh, here. Um, I'm just thinking, thinking back on, the, on how Suzuki Roshi treated treated the sangha, and basically, I was thinking that he he treated everybody he met as if they were a sangha member, and as if as if they were part of part of his his world, and people responded very brightly to that. It was a very he got a very bright response from people that sort of immediate uh, connection um it's it was it's it's meeting people without judgment is very a very powerful way of uh, relating and it gets a it usually gets a quite quite a, quite a positive response and 
and your what you started talking about first in the topsy turvy world that we live in. That I <clears throat> I remember as I was on my way to Japan and going into a into an environment that I had no experience of and not knowing what was going to come up next and Kataguri Kataguri Roshi was at Tassahara at the time and he caught me in the upper garden and he and he he stood there in the upper garden with his feet sort of spread apart and his arms in the air and he said keep a firm grip on the void and that's that's that was that that, that advice that, uh, was very very powerful and very useful for me if you have to we have to keep our discipline, keep ourselves together, but not rely on anything. It's it's um, it's sort of the Zen trick. Yeah, that's that's one way to talk about resilience: maintaining a firm grip on the void. <laughs> I love it. And and Paul, I just want to say for people who don't know, maybe you all know, but Paul Disco was a disciple of Suzuki Roshi. Uh, lives in Oakland, so thanks to Zoom, he comes here, and he's he's the Sado, uh, the regular visiting teacher of our sangha. And I just, you know, I just want to thank you. I want to thank all of you for being here in the sangha. But Paul uh, is a great inspiration for all of us. So thank you very much. Firm grip on the void. Okay. Anybody else? Any comments, responses, reflections, perspectives? We're all here together. And again, you can hit the raise hands button in the participant window if you hey, David. can't see. So, was that David Ray? Yes, thank you, Tygan. Um, I, I just wanted to say, I mean, so first off, thank you. Thank you for talking about Sangha in this strange time, it, it sometimes seems to me that there are, well, there are so many different ways to react to this environment that we're in. Some people speak as if we are separated from Sangha. Some people just really don't like Zoom, uh, and right. Zoom does not feel like Sangha for some people. And I'm one of those people for whom Zoom does feel like Sangha. And um, there are moments when I feel a, a sadness and, to be honest, even, you know, a certain, you know, righteous indignation. I want to say everybody should come to Zoom Sangha and be here. But I, I think the truth is that for some people, Zoom feels like, you know, just more loneliness and doesn't feel like Sangha. Um, I, just, I just want to put that out there. I'm very grateful for this version of Sangha. Good. Yes. Thank you. And, you know, there's a, a an old... Um, description of monastic practice, which is being alone together. So each of us is in our own little box on the Zoom page. And in the and in back in Irving Park, each of us was on our own cushion facing our own little piece of the wall. But we're but we do it together. So it's it's there's a dynamic there that is an attention there that's part of uh, what can encourage us to sustain this and just to note that uh, Eve commented that she wants t-shirts that say keep a firm grip on the void maybe we can try and produce those <laughs> Doug you, maybe you can help us with that anyway uh, so thank you uh, other comments 
about sangha, about practice and Zoom, about being in the world. And yes, to, to just echo what David said, there are many, many of our sangha members from the from the old, old days in, at Irving Park who have trouble with Zoom. And we want to include them as well as all of you coming from California and New York and Sweden and whatever. Uh, so it's... Uh, how to do all this is, is uh, again, as I say, a creative tension. Other comments, please. Deborah. Oh, Dylan, go, go yeah, ahead, no. Dylan. Dylan first, then Deborah. Uh. <laughs> So I don't know exactly how this is come, going to come out. So I think I'm just going to ramble and see if uh, if it uh, if something honest comes out. Um, I think this is an incredibly difficult and strange time to be uh, alive. Um, you know, like I still think back to you know the the fact that you know Donald Trump was elected president and just like that that was a fact that that really happened, you know, um, and that the pandemic is happening and all of the psychological and emotional effects of, of that and all of the deaths, the millions of people, the climate catastrophe and Af- Afghanistan falling. It's just, it's like, a, it's, it just seems like one of the most difficult times uh, in, in my memory of my life, you know? Um, and I guess in terms of, what what that means about practice, what this means about, you know, uh, practice for me uh, is, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, um, I think when I first started practicing back in the old days, when we had the temple on Irving Park, I was, um, you know, really looking forward to doing Zen well or being a good, practitioner or, uh, um, you know, going on Zen adventures and visiting different temples and, uh, having, having moments of, of awakening and understanding reality and all this stuff. And I think, uh, I don't know how much of it is how, what the difficulty of this particular context of life right now and how much of it is just, the narrative of, of my life or how I'm thinking about my life right now. But like, I feel like I know I have less <laughs> uh, certainty about whether I'm doing anything right <laughs> at this time. Uh, and, and more just sort of attitude of like surrender of just like doing Zazen and, and trusting that things will be okay in whatever direction they go. And, and like still doing the things that I, that, feel like they're just things to do, but um, uh, it's, it's a strange, there's a, there's a little bit of loss that I feel about this, uh, this feeling that I used to have of like feeling like I was doing a good job, you know, or whatever. Um, But like the, 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 I feel like it's maybe the more that I kind of abandon judging myself in comparison to other people, the more, uh, the more real things are, I guess. I don't know. That's just a ramble, but it's what's on my mind. 
Thank you, Dylan. Um, good ramble. Uh, yes, uh, trying to be good, trying to do do the right thing. You know, that's that can be a trap. We can think we're you know being helpful and and not cause all kinds of harm. So it's tricky how to do bodhisattva practice, how to be helpful in the world. It's not simple. But I want to go back to what you said about um, this is a very dangerous time. I agree with you. As a uh, amateur student of history, um, this is uh, all the, th- the things I mentioned and, I, and the things that I didn't mention uh, that are happening now. This is a, a dangerous, perilous time. However, I just want to add that uh, Buddhist practitioners for s- centuries and millennia have felt that in their times. <laughs> so uh, Dogen, our founder in, in Japan in the early 1200s, um, uh, he lived in a time when there were civil wars and he grew up in Kyoto and there were literally bodies littering the streets. So uh, that was a difficult time and the government was changing and there was civil war. Uh, many times in the world, uh, practitioners have felt like this is a terrible time. Uh, and even and I'm saying that even though I agree with you, Dylan, that uh, <laughs> this is, you know, with climate catastrophe and wars and, and racial injustice and, and the pandemic and all that. And, and uh, I could mention that the buildup of nuclear arsenals and all of that. Um, it's a really dangerous time on a global level. Part of that is that we're more aware. Now that could be, that might, how, how much that helps, we don't know. <laughs> but being aware of all these things, uh, you know, uh, one t-shirt slogan that I could offer to even others, awareness itself is, awareness is transformative. Our awareness changes things. So to be present on a Zoom page with people from different countries and different states, I mean, that, that awareness changes things. This is not just, a, you know, kind of some idea of mine. It's physics. You know, the Heisenberg principle says that if you observe something, it cha- it, it, and, and physics shows that if you observe an event, it changes the event. So our awareness, our awakeness, is actually very positive. Uh, so uh, we have, uh, so uh, Deborah was next and then Eve. Um, I'm tempted to have Eve speak next, but I, I guess I can speak. I was just trying to um, support that our practice is, even though it seems like we're very alone in it, it's very, very expansive. And it's trusting, I, I call it the faith mind or this um, trusting bodhicitta in a deep way. What is going on in Zazen? And um, since I have been practicing alone for a while, it's made me actually connect to my practice in a much deeper way. It, t- it took a few years, but it really did. The aloneness made me really value it. And other things fell away. I, I feel very fortunate that happened. But I just wanted to support that um, the face-to-face we experience on Zoom, if you bring your Zazen mind just to like a, a general openness to it and 
And it kind of just holding the space and realizing each person here wants to be here. And it is, in a sense, a very alive sangha. So I'm finished. Thank you. I'm losing my mind. Thank you, uh, Deborah. Um, There was something I wanted to say about what you said. And now I'm. I'll, I'll come back to that. Well, just the, the, the point of, of uh, our activity in Sangha, each of us, uh, again, it supports each other. Um, this is a very dynamic situation, and it's even more creative and dynamic in the situation of uh, some people in our Sangha in Chicago really, really yearning to sit together in person, and we're starting to do that. And then also, and, and, and it looks like we will be able to do that, but also people from a distance joining and meeting face-to-face like this. So meeting face-to-face is a big part of Zen practice. Uh, Dogen talks about meeting face-to-face with the teacher. And, and, uh, but also now we're meeting face-to-face at Sangha in actually a way that is... Uh, not as as uh, easy or evident as as sometimes in person when there's a, a big room and you can't really see the face of the person across the room, as Paul Disco pointed out about Zoom. Uh, anyway, um, let's continue. Eve? Well, when, when, you know, when I was listening to Dylan, what he said resonated with me with, with a poem that I wrote the other day, and I wondered if I could read it. Sure, poetry is very welcome. <laughs> yeah, because cause I wrote it partly because I was mad um, at the way um, a lot of, well, <laughs> the leaders in, in my own field now in public health, or the way people in positions of power have, um, to me, have been undermining Sangha by some of the messages that they were sending. Um, anyway... So, so I wrote the poem. Um, these are the times that try our souls. Seeking safety, we drive RVs down a dry and bumpy road. Hope, a mirage shining distant in the tarmac, which disappears as we draw closer, trailing a heavy viral load. Are we a danger to our children or they are, or are they to us? Will closeness ever bring us other than unease? The future's face forever hidden beneath a mask. Places once complacent are now ravaged by disease. Alpha, gamma, delta count the variants. Evolutionary twists and turns that taunt us. Short-sighted expediency and gain, the link to climate change, undermine the age that was supposed to be Aquarius. Bureaucrats surely lacking in systemic wisdom, not to mention what should be common knowledge of the heart, sent errant messages of liberation, celebrating selfishness, tying it to freedom, but tearing us apart. The iron tendrilled roots that tie us all together are what we should be naming and proclaiming. We're all carriers, carrying each other, though granted it seems a paradox to show caring and connectedness through mandated jabs and barriers. Thank you, Eve. Um, I sometimes think that I don't 
read enough poetry in my Dharma talks. Poetry helps because it's not, you know, precise. Linear awareness, but anyway, um, I know there are a bunch of poets here. Um, Ron, do you have any poems you want to share? Uh, or you could come back if you find no, one. No, 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 no. Okay, here, here's one. This is okay. one that I, re- I, I did a reading a uh, week and a half ago. And it was in the most amazing setting for a reading. It was a townhouse on Cornelia street. that's up for sale for $9.8 million. And I dug out things I'd written in the 1970s. And this is, uh, well, this is something that uh, I wrote in 1970. That was a song that was performed by band, uh, Morningside Heights band called death city survivors. And I, I call it, uh, I don't know how relevant it is, but I'll go ahead with it. Anyway, I call it, uh, my homage to Aristophanes, it's titled Frogs. And it's kind of the, uh, the revolutionary impulse in a way. I've got my stash right here in my pocket, got a carbine in my hand. And if you want to know just which way to go, well, you can follow me to the hidden land. We're going to boogie all over the heavens, rocking in four by four, drop celestial acid 30 times a day, come running back for more. Then it's down to the train train station for our little midnight escapade. We're going to greet the president's motor car with a red, white, and blue grenade. Then we'll fill our pipes with opium and we'll stuff our heads with dreams. We're going to waltz across the great waters to the music of their screams. And then we'll break it up and shake it up and open up the portal and all climb in between. We're going to break it up and shake it up and open up the portal and all climb in between like frogs. So it's kind of a, in a way, it's kind of an anti-war song coming from the left. Thank you, Ron. Uh, So Ron mentioned Cornelia Street, but for those of you in Chicago, he's not talking about the Cornelia Street here. Ron lives in Manhattan in New York City, and we were... uh, There's a short block, Cornelia Street in the West Village. Yeah. A lot of restaurants. Ron and I were friends back in the late 60s in New York City, so... Yeah. Um, One of the way, you know, trying to talk about all of this is, (laughs) uh, you know, there's so many things going on. How do we say anything? And, you know, Zen koans are a lot like poetry. They they get in between the words. Other comments? Uh, We still have a little bit of time for anyone who has thoughts to share. Uh, Doug, are you? Yeah, go ahead. Oh man, this is so great! I'm I'm feeling so at home and and have, have uh, and I am at home, you know. And that's kind of the <laughs> the uh, having kind of a gratitude attack here. This is uh, this is awesome. Thank you guys so much. And what? Wow, Tigan, you just kind of bundled it up all real <laughs> real good. And I I'm going to need uh, some kind of uh, artwork to go with these with these slogans. I. I uh, am working on a bunch of uh, bunch of shirts for uh, for uh, Dead Tour, of course, and, and festivals. And it ironically came up with a lot of Loraxes. I can let me see. Can you see them? It's I am the Lorax. I speak for the trees 
And on the back of this one, we've got, uh, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not, which is the whole point of uh, the Lorax, you know, uh, thing that Dr. Seuss people gave me uh, a high five on, actually. And then I have uh, a lot of other art that uh, I'm anxious to be selling around the country and, you know, just getting off to a good start here. And um, I have a friend from Oakland that's here. And, you know, I know people up in Minneapolis and I'm going to be getting out to to New York City. And and I hope a lot of people uh, when uh, Dead and Company come to Chicago will will uh, find me and join me and uh, grab a free T-shirt <laughs> from the Sangas because, um, man, I'm uh, this is this is getting to be such home for me. Uh, I watched a movie last night that I'm sure most of you have seen, and um, you know I kind of wound up with too many of these Lorax shirts and the biodiesel debacle of cutting trees to you know get energy and uh, is just horrendous you know and and so i think uh the lorax is uh you know the the cutting of trees and the burning of trees and it's it's just something that uh our planet has got a problem with you know and and um, so i'm sure you know, serendipitously, this is going to be a great shirt to be taken around with a, a whole bunch of others I've got, of course. But, um, uh, you know, I look forward to working on the Sangha if there's needing to be anything. And, and you know, I, I, I wish that we didn't get. Oops, it looks like Doug froze. Can you hear me? Doug's connection is somewhat tenuous sometimes, and which happens to all of us. Doug, are you there? Yeah, I am. I can hear you. Oh yeah, you, you froze for a sec for a bit there. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. So yeah, I was rambling pretty good anyway. So you didn't miss much. <laughs> the, uh, but the I, I'm just so grateful and um, and uh, you know looking forward to um, maybe you guys coming down here. There's a there, Frank Lloyd Wright is right down the street. And I, I was thinking the other day that... Uh, I thought he was dead. Oh, he is. There's a, there's a house down the street. So. <laughs> yeah. um, and in the basement of this house is all the, all the old tools that they use. And it's actually, they're turning it into a museum now. So I thought at some time, if Paul's ever back, that would be so cool for him to come down. And I just look forward to, you know, like you said in your in your opening that uh, in the talk that uh, there's so much I'm looking forward to and, and uh, so much I'm feeling uh, connected with, with you guys here. And you've been so supportive for me for the last couple of years that I, I'm just really grateful. Thank you. Thank you so much, Doug. And, and actually, you know, I, uh, that's something I forgot to mention. I was talking about the tools of, Resilience and nourishment uh, in terms of, uh, where is it? I'm got my notes here. Um, uh, in terms of joyfulness, in terms of um, 
finding enthusiasm in terms of um, well kindness. One of the things I forgot to mention though was gratitude. This and so thank you for that, Doug. That's feeling grateful for the things we have to feel grateful for is a great support, uh, great nourishment for sangha, for uh, resilience, for staying with our uprightness. So Doug, um, he may have gathered, uh, makes t-shirts. Uh, he's, he made some of the ancient dragon Zen gate t-shirts that some of you have seen. Um, and, uh, so thank you for that. And so, I, you know, Eve's request, Doug, is that you make a T-shirt from what from what Katagiri Roshi told Paul, which is keep a firm grasp on the void. So that's a good T-shirt slogan. I agree with you, Eve. So you might try that, Doug. Uh, would, but Doug, you didn't mention the movie you saw last night. Oh, uh, our our planet dot com, I think, where they kind of. Um, are showing how the a um, lot of our attempts at you know alternative energy have been disastrous and and worse for the environment than actually you know fossil fuels. Um, it's pretty informative. Yeah, I, I think, think I did see called, that. It's just called our planet, and you know the the, the clear cutting of trees is just so sad, and it couldn't be more wrong, you know. Yep. Ah. I recently heard about um, shade-grown coffee. For those of you who are coffee drinkers like me, there are companies that have shade-grown coffee where they where that do not require cutting down of trees to grow the coffee beans. Anyway, there are all kinds of things that people are ways that people are finding to be constructive and positive. So it's. Uh, this is our challenge as a, as the world sangha. So thank you for everyone's comments, but does anybody else have any responses or poetry or reflections for anything we've talked about? Paul, yes, please. You're muted, Paul. I would like to say something, somewhat in response to uh, to Dylan, but also uh, I, I heard this report on public radio the other day about about the the, psych, the psychological state the state of the world's population, and apparently Americans are far more individualistic than anybody else on the planet, um, and that's sort of our one of our key our our hallmarks is this this intense individualism. Which, um, of course, is <clears throat> the other direction from Sangha, um, <clears throat> but but the just just like when Suzuki Roshi came here and he found us not knowing how not knowing not knowing anything about Buddhism and how how uh, how much we were we were confused on the subject and he but he found that the beginner's mind because we were so intense on learning. That the beginner's mind was quite a quite a wonderful state, and that the people in Japan that he was used to and sort of knew all about it, and they sort of sort of like they you know they had it with their with their with their rice in the morning, and it was not sort of new and exciting and interesting, and they just sort of took it for granted and didn't really pay much attention to 
of the, the Buddhism, and that we were we were we were we felt the need and and saw the separation and were were eager to to, to practice and discover. And I think that's I think that's why the, the United States is maybe can be the leader in in this in a new way of seeing the world because we we have the farthest we're the farthest from it so we have the most we have the most to gain um where other people are so are nestled in their own little set social environments that don't have such a uh, such a burning need anyway i, I I'm, I'm just just hoping that we can turn this this vast separation into into a togetherness wow yes I'm grateful for that. And thank you for channeling Suzuki Roshi for us all, Paul. Maybe on that note, um, Ruben, if we can do our closing uh, chants, and uh, again, would, if people would be muted, but also in your own space, chant a Thank you, Tegan. I'm now going to bring up the PowerPoint. We'll now chant the repentance verse three times together, followed by the Enmejiku Kanongyo seven times together. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind I now fully avow. And may kanon gyo. Kanze on namu butsu yo butsu uin yo butsu uen bu po so wen yo raguja yo chonen kanze on bonen kanze on nen nen ju shin ki nen furi shin kanze on namu butsu yo butsu in Yobutsu and Bupo so and Jo Rakuga Jo Chonen Kanze on Bonen 
compassion their luminous mirror wisdom with full awareness we have chanted the enmejiku kanon gyo we dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in india great teacher shakyamuni buddha our first woman ancestor great teacher mahapachapati our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogaku Shunryu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. <coughs> Gratefully we offer this virtue to all beings. Throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom, mahaprajna paramita. Uh. 